Uh, we will need our Bibles today because we believe the Bible is God speaking to us. That's why we open our Bibles. That's why we listen to the Bible. It doesn't matter what I think or say. It matters what God thinks and what God says. The question for this morning is whose microphone is still on? <laughs> Mark. The question for this morning is why do I need Easter? Why do I need it? What is the point of Easter for me? And I was asking myself that question back when I was in college. I had grown up in the church. We always went to church on Easter. We always went to church on Christmas, so that's about it. So I had, you know, a little bit of knowledge, but I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know God. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know Jesus personally. And so, you know, why do I need Easter? That was a question I was asking myself. Uh, in fact, I didn't come to know Christ personally until I was a freshman in college. It, do you want to see a picture for me back in college? If I show you this picture, do you promise in advance not to laugh? <laughs> promise? All right, so here's a picture of me back in college. It's me. I, hey, watch it. There was me. I was the drummer in a heavy metal band. Uh, and that's my girlfriend, Lauren. Isn't she pretty? I'm married to her now. And go ahead, date. <laughs> date the bad boy, because God will surprise you. Pastor's wife. <laughs> but there I was. I was uh, growing up as a good kid, followed the rules. Um, you know, certainly a lot better than my sister was. She got caught all the time. But in high school, I started hanging around with the wrong group of kids, started uh, taking more and more risks in my sin. What made it even worse is I was good at not getting caught, and, and therefore I got away with it, and I didn't feel the weight of the sins as they kept going up in severity. Uh, I was making some decisions that could have been life-altering if I had gotten caught buying drugs in high school, stealing money from where I worked, life-altering things if I had gotten caught, but at just the right time... Uh, God used the bass player in my heavy metal band to invite me out to a church, and he changed my life. Here's a picture of the bass player in my metal band. Check that out. His name's Andy, right? And uh, Andy invited me to church one day, and I said, you go to church every weekend? I said, dude, we've got an image to uphold as a heavy metal band. You can't be going to church every weekend. I say that now as if we really had an image to uphold. I mean, we drove around in his mom's minivan. We really weren't. <laughs> as cool as we thought we were. But anyway, Andy invited me out to his church, uh, and it was there that I heard the gospel, and the pastor opened his Bible, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, hey, maybe you were baptized. Maybe you took communion. Maybe you were confirmed in some way in the church. He said, none of that matters. I said, he just took all my stuff away, because I did all that. He said, what matters is, do you have a personal relationship by faith in Jesus Christ? And I didn't. And I didn't, and I knew something was missing. And it was then that God showed me why I need Easter, because he wants me to know him personally. I'd like to share with you today about how God's love is expressed through Easter and how you can know him personally. That's what Easter is all about. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Bible together. Thank you, Father, that we can know God personally through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. And he lives now, able to offer eternal life to anyone who comes to him. Show us why we need Easter. I pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 5. Uh, and you need to know a few things. We're um, in a series called Root to Fruit. That's where these graphics are coming from. You're like, why isn't there an apple up on the screen? <laughs> this series is called Root to Fruit. We're learning about spiritual growth and maturity. What we're finding out is the Bible calls Christian virtues like fruit that grow over time. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, on and on. And so we're looking at a different fruit or virtue each week, and we're seeing that these virtues come from God first, and then he grows them in us. Um, and love, we're returning to love today. We're going to see God's love for us at the cross. Now this book of Romans, you need to know, was written by a man named Paul. And um, telling you his story is actually risky because when you know the truth about him, you might be tempted to not listen to a word he says. 
uh, the Apostle Paul was a murderer. He killed innocent Christians. He went house to house to house, dragging off men and women, taking mothers from their children, taking fathers from their homes, throwing them in jail or worse, forcing them to confess Jesus as Lord and then executing them. This is the man who wrote the book of Romans, the most comprehensive book that lays out the plan of our salvation. And you're like, what is he doing writing a book in the Bible? God got a hold of his heart and turned him around. And the man who was the most, um, was the most uh, emotional opponent of the faith had an, a life-changing experience with the risen Lord. And he became the chief advocate of the faith. That's one of the reasons we know it's true, is because enemies of the gospel ended up believing it. Well, we're listening to the Apostle Paul now in the book of Romans talk about uh, why, why do we need Easter? Why do we need God's love in our lives? Check out chapter 5, verse 1, where it says this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, you can jot this down and then we'll unpack it. And I encourage you to take notes in your bulletin so you're more of an active listener. Number one, I have a problem only Jesus can solve. Why do I need Easter? Because I have a problem only God can solve. Um, there are sometimes problems in your life you're not even aware of. And the biggest problem in your life is one that can go undetected if God doesn't show it to you. I heard in the news recently about what happened in Greece. Did you hear this? Where a construction crew was excavating under a gas station and they found a giant World War II bomb that was still alive. It had landed and not gone off. And the detonation mechanism was still intact under a gas station. So they evacuated 70,000 people. Imagine if you see this gas station and you were there the day before. <laughs> Filling your car up. And then the next day, they're evacuating 70,000 people because there's a bomb underneath and you didn't even know it was there. That was a close one. Check it out. Here's pictures in Greece. You know, the professionals showed up, the military, and they're down there trying to figure out how to get this bomb out safely. So they've got a few sandbags there. You see that? And then they got more sandbags. Yeah, we need more, more. Bring out, bring out the sandbag. Bring the truck. We need all these sandbags up uh, to get the bomb out from under the gas station. You have a problem, and it's a bigger problem than a bomb under a gas station. And if this one goes off, you'll be lost forever. And this problem is described in three ways here. These are sub-points. It says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. The word justified in the Greek comes from the law courts. Justified means a divine pardon. You, your sins, the, the charges against you are either pardoned or you are found not guilty. So jot this down, my problem, I need a pardon. I need to be justified. I am in serious legal trouble in God's court of law. I have been summoned to appear before the judge and I will give an account for how my life has been lived. We live in a country that is uh, always filled with lawsuits, right? And the courthouse is such a sad place to be. Did you hear about the legal mess United Airlines is in now? Did you see that video of a passenger who was dragged off of a flight? His face was all bloody. Did you see that? United is in big legal trouble. Check it out. I saw this cartoon earlier this week. United, fly the friendly skies. <laughs> is it too soon? Uh, it's just... <laughs> United is in huge legal trouble. There's going to be a trial. They're going to have to pay damages. This guy's reputation. I mean, they have a huge legal mess. But listen, you are in bigger legal trouble than United Airlines. If you called the attorney who has taken the case for United and explained your predicament legally, he would say, you're in a bigger mess than I am. And there's nothing I can do to help you. Because your problem is in heaven, where perfect records are being kept. And if God does not justify you or pardon you, your criminal record will put you away forever. I need a pardon. 
because I can't get out of the legal mess I'm in in heaven. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Write this down. I need peace. I need a pardon, and I need peace. Peace with God. Careful here. I don't mean inner peace, okay? I don't mean like, I need to golf. Then I will be at peace. All right. I don't mean like, I need a vacation. And then my anxiety, I'm not talking about inner peace. Okay? I'm not talking about a peace that stretching and yoga can give you, all right? Some calming music, little Kenny G. No, I'm talking about a peace that is relational. Like warring nations who finally sign the armistice and end the conflict, uh, you must find peace with God. And he's extending you a truce. I don't know how you think you are with God. I don't know if you feel like God has always been there for you. I don't know if you think God looks down on the sins in your life and just kind of sweeps them under the rug, but that's not true. Because the Bible says that we are at war with God. Do you know this? Your whole life is viewed as an act of war aimed at a holy God. Do you know that? Do you know your whole life is viewed as an assault on God's heavenly kingdom? He will never ally himself with your program. He will never get on your kingdom building plan. He won't. He will not support your independent, insurgent assault on his will. In other words, you can't do things your way, how you want, and in the end, God said, God won't say, amen, I'm following your kingdom. That's not the way it works. You need peace. You need a pardon. Jot this down. You need permission. I need permission. It says here, we have been justified, there's the courtroom, by faith. We have peace, there's the lack of war, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 2, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. You need to be granted access to a restricted area called heaven. If you imagine yourself running through the pearly gates as if you are welcome there, you don't know what the Bible says. Uh, The gates of heaven are the most closely guarded gates in all of the universe because no sin can get in there. If sin gets in there, you ruin it for everyone. Sin in heaven makes heaven not heaven. And so it is a restricted area. And you, it doesn't matter if you stand there with your little key fob, you know, it'll just, eh, 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 because you don't have clearance to get in there. God must grant you access to a restricted area. You're not welcome there in your current state. You need permission and only Jesus can give it to you. When I was in college, I was in martial arts. I took karate. Anybody else take karate at any point in your past? And uh, I was so serious about this, I went to a karate camp over the summer. And, uh, and at that camp, we were near D.C., and so we decided, all of us karate martial artists, we, uh, we went to D.C. to take a walking tour of the Capitol. How many of you have walked around, like the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument? How many of you walked around the area there? All right, it's, it's really cool, breathtaking, a uh, whole lot to see, not too many bathrooms, am I right? You walk around, and I had a lot of coffee and soft drinks, and so we made it from the Lincoln Memorial. You know, it was a long walk to get to the Congress, and so we walked up to the stairs of Congress, and I told my dad, I got to go to the bathroom. He's like, there are no bathrooms around here. And I said, well, listen, I drank too much Coke. I need to go. He's like, what are you going to do, just walk into Congress? And I said, yeah, I'm just going to walk into Congress because I got to go to the bathroom. He's like, well, good luck. So I walked in, and I I walked in, and there was a security checkpoint. Uh, uh, You can imagine what that was like. I mean, I remember there being like Uzis and an indoor tank and all this stuff. Maybe I'm not remembering it correctly because I really had to go to the bathroom. But there I was, and uh, I'll tell you what I didn't do, all right? I didn't do this. Because why? Tell me why. Because I would have gotten arrested. Yeah, that comes later. What would have happened first? I would have gotten jumped, right? And even my karate would not have helped me in that moment because I was unarmed. Fair fight, I would have won. But the security guards have an advantage, all right? I mean, I would have been tased. Well, I don't know what they would have done. 
you don't just walk in to one of the heaviest guarded places in the country. And so I walked in and I had to ask for permission. Excuse me, sir, I really need to go to the bathroom. I'm sorry, I drank a lot of Coke and went to McDonald's. He's like, I can't just let you into Congress. I said, I gotta go. And so I'm just gonna stand here and something's gonna happen. So, <laughs> so he said, fine, I'll let you in, but you got five minutes and you better be back here or I'm coming in there after you, okay? And so I walked in there, you know, and I mean, I made the most of my five minutes. It didn't take me long, so you know. But then I got out of there <laughs> because I was not allowed. I did not have access. Hey, listen, we aren't allowed in to heaven unless someone gives us permission to go in. And the only person qualified, authorized to buzz you in is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have him getting you in, you're not getting in. I have a problem only Jesus can solve. I need a pardon. I need peace. I need permission. Do you agree? Do you agree that this is your true spiritual condition? That you have serious legal trouble in God's court and he must pardon you? That you are at war with him and he must offer terms of peace? That you are not granted access and he must allow you in? That's your true spiritual condition. That's what the Bible teaches. I have a problem only Jesus can solve. That's why I need Easter. Number two, you can write this down. I have pain only Jesus can manage. It goes on in verse... Three, it just said in verse two, we rejoice in hope. That's like, yay! And then it says in verse three, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Sufferings. And I'm like, no. Why did that have to get in the Bible? Am I right? Why couldn't there just be the joy? How come there's the suffering? And what on earth does he mean that we rejoice in the suffering? I don't get that at all. It says we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces something. Endurance, and now there's a chain reaction. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What does this mean? This means I have pain only Jesus can manage. There will be pain in your life, but God didn't intend for you to manage your own trials apart from Him. You see, we struggle with self-reliance. I got this. I'm good. I'll, I'll work. I'll get it right. I'll write. I'm going to get my marriage through this. I'm going to get us through this financially. And we struggle with self-reliance. But we fail to understand why pain is in our lives. Pain is in your life to show you how much you need God. Uh, you can't do this. You need his help. And um, you're really not in control of your world. You might think you are, but you, God has given you this much control over your life. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, you won't get more control because God was meant to, to be in control. I watch The Simpsons. Anybody else watch The Simpsons? Maybe you're ashamed to admit that in church, but I give you permission. So how many of you watch The Simpsons? All right, so in the opening sequence, there's, you know, they're playing the intro music and the car, the Simpsons car is like zigzagging all over and you're like, what's going on? And it shows who's driving the car. It shows Maggie's driving the car. Check it out. And you're like, who let the baby drive? And then the camera zooms out and it actually shows, no, mom's driving the car. Maggie is just in her little car seat with her toy steering wheel. Um, God has not given you the steering wheel of your life, okay? He is in total control of all of the madness, and the more you cling to your little wheel and think you're driving yourself through it, the more you are laughable. You think with your little toy wheel, this much control God has given you over this world, you're going to keep gravity on? You think you're going to keep the sun shining? You think you're going to keep earth steered safely from the super massive black holes that exist in the middle of our Milky Way? You think your little steering wheel is going to see us all to safety? I got this. You're foolish if you think you are in control. And pain does something. It teaches you the truth. You see, when some trial comes into your life, some hardship, it shows you the gap between your control and where you want your life to be. What, what will you do with that? How will you... Uh, face that reality. Well, you'll either humble yourself and cry out for God to help you, 
or you will continue to try and muscle through it and fail again. Uh, Your pain serves God's purpose, and it shows you that you are not built to be a self-reliant being. You are built to be a God-reliant being. You need Him. His hand is on the wheel. You desperately need Him to be in control of your life. You have pain that is intentionally too much for you to bear to show you how much you need God. Jesus wants to be with you through all the pain, helping you in this life. That's God's plan, to be present with you. How can I find joy in the midst of my suffering? How can I find joy while my life is falling apart? When God is with you. That's how. And God, for those of you who are in agony and you're wondering why God would allow suffering, listen, listen, God suffers. God suffers. God suffers because of you. God suffers with you on the cross. He suffers with you in your life. He suffers because of you. When you understand that we have a God who suffers because of us, a God who suffers for us, and a God who suffers with us, you can find joy even in your pain. You can find that joy, but only if Jesus is in your life. You have pain only Jesus can manage. If you don't have Christ in your life, all of the pain that's ever happened to you, everything, every person who's hurt you, every health crisis you've had is God's way of saying one thing to you. He's saying one thing to you over and over and over again. How could God have let this happen? Where was God? when He's saying one thing to you over and over and over again. You need my son. And you can either admit it and say it's true, or you can go on steering yourself to safety, and then when the next time comes around, he'll say the same thing again. You can't do this alone. You need my son. That's what pain is telling you. You need his son. Because you have pain only God, only Jesus can manage. I love what it says here. It says, um, since, uh, or I'm sorry, it says back up in verse 4 and 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you trust Christ as Savior, God gives his own presence into your life. And it's depicted here as if God's pouring his love into you. I'm going to ask Brad Whitley to give me a hand here. He's been on our launch team from the beginning, and he oversees our sound and tech crew. He's done a lot there. I think we should give Brad a big round of applause for helping me up here. Brad, I appreciate you helping me illustrate this point. God has poured his love into our hearts. And what I want you to see is what that looks like. And so Brad here is going to grab the pitcher of water, and uh, this cup represents your heart, all right? And Brad's going to pour a little bit of water in. Be very careful. Brad, you're missing. Oh, my goodness. We should have practiced this. So Brad is pouring into the cup. And uh, hold on. Now, Now notice the cup is already full, but you see God pours, pours, pours his love into our heart throughout our whole lives and onto eternity. So it's as if God keeps pouring and doing this. He's pouring his love into our hearts. Thank you, Brad Whitlaw. Let's give him a big round of applause. And now I am standing on wet confetti. And I can't touch my Bible with my right hand. (laughs) Hey, listen, I don't know if you feel like God is being stingy or standoffish if furthest thing from the truth. What you see is why you need Easter, because Easter is God's way of showing you that he's pouring his love into your life, and he is willing to walk through all the pain with you. But you need Jesus. Number one, I have a problem only Jesus can solve. Number two, I have pain only Jesus can manage. Number three, I need proof only Jesus can provide. You see, you're wondering, how can I trust that this is real? I mean, what, how has God proved his love to me? How can I have that confidence? Well, the Bible answers that question. It says in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. What does that mean? That means that God has given you a final, supreme, undeniable uh, display of proof that he loves you. There's no greater thing he could do other than what he did at the cross. Anything you want him to do is less than what he did at the cross. He has given you proof, and only Jesus can provide that proof. How? Well, it says while we were still weak and ungodly uh, and sinful, the Bible says, weak, ungodly, sinful, Christ died for us. It's important to see when he died for us. He didn't come down after the world had some United Nations convention back in the early world and all the countries decided we've really blown it with God. We better ask for forgiveness. And then God looks down and says, well, I better send my son now because they finally figured it out. That is not what happened. God waited to the right time. And what was that time? That time was when humanity reached its worst, its lowest point. Do you know what happened at the cross? We killed God's son. We killed the only one who could get us all into heaven. We killed him. The cross was the culmination, the greatest way that humanity expressed our hatred for God. And it was at that moment when we went to our lowest that God went to his highest. It was when we showed our fullest Hatred that he showed the greatest expression of his love he could. He poured out his love when our rebellion reached its climax. That's not the way you act. If your enemy who hated you and made your life miserable finally got to the point where your enemy murdered your child, goodness, that's not the moment where you say, well, enemy, I've been storing up my greatest act of love for you for this very moment. No, that's not how you treat people, but that's how God treats people. At our worst, at just the right time, when we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. Do you know what that means? It means God's not waiting for you to clean up your act. It means God's not waiting for you to get on some sin reduction program before he'll like you. It means that you can't put a rug over the mountain of sin that you've piled up in your lifetime. It's not how God works. You need to come and admit that you are sinful and you need a Savior. Only then will he welcome you. Jesus died for sinners. He didn't die for people who think they're righteous. I need proof only Jesus can provide. We're asked to prove things frequently. If you go to, for example, get your driver's license, right? They'll ask you to prove who you are and where you live. I lost my driver's license a few years ago. And so then I had to go into the DMV, and it's never good to give them something confusing to do because, you know, they just do their routine. And I walked in, and I said, I lost my license. And they said, you lost your license? I said, yeah, I need a license. They said, well, we usually look at your license and renew it. I said, no, I lost it. I need a new one. And they said, well, you need to prove who you are. And so we need this and this and this and this and this and, uh, and bring something with your signature. And so I went home, and I got the proof, and then I went to the DMV, And the only thing I found with my signature on it was like something I had signed in high school, like a social security card or something, and I was being a punk, so I signed it, Ryan J. Hall the first. Just, you know, just because that's that's the way I was. Sometimes I'm still that way. So I go into the DMV, and I'm like, here's my proof of this and this and this, and here's my signature, and she's like, all right, sign this. And so I signed it, and she goes like this, no. I said, no, what do you mean? She's like, they don't match. Try again. And I was like, sign. And she's like, nope, they don't match. And I said, I'm the same person. And she put another, I had to sign three times. She put another one in front of me and she said, make this look like that or you're not getting a license. And now I'm imagining mom driving me around everywhere because I can't get my license because I can't prove who I am. So now I'm focused, right? And I've got to forge my own signature. And (laughs) My hand is shaking, and I'm just like signing it, and I'm like, high school, Ryan, what were you thinking, you fool? And so my license for years said Ryan J. Hall the first. Our mistakes will follow us, but I got my license. 
hey, you're going to need to prove who you are. Sometimes you need to prove your age. Sometimes you need to prove your residency. Sometimes you need to prove that you actually went to college by getting your transcripts. If you really want God to prove that he loves you, look to the cross. Look to the cross. He can't do anything greater. What, you think that if he answers some of your prayers now, that's more than the cross? You know, oh, I, you know finances are tight, I need help paying my utilities. Oh, he pays your NICOR bill, and you're like, now I know there's a God. That's peanuts. Oh, well, I'm in a you know, fight with my spouse. God really needs to say, okay, so if he fixes that little fire, well, I'm going to the doctor, and I'm a little afraid what I'm going to find. Okay, so if he takes care of one health problem of the many you're going to face in this world, then you'll follow him. You're asking for peanuts compared to what he did at the cross where he offered his son he poured his love out and you're longing for lesser evidence god gave you evidence jesus gave you proof proof that only he can provide why do i need easter i have a problem only jesus can solve i need a pardon i need peace and permission Second, I have pain only Jesus can manage. And third, I need proof only Jesus can provide. Number four, you can write this down. I need a promise only Jesus can make. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I I need to know that I'm in a good place with God. You need a promise and only Jesus can make that promise. So look at verse 9. It says, Since therefore... We have now been justified, there's that courtroom word again, justified by his blood, meaning Jesus died for you. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you want a promise that you are right with God? It says here that by his blood you have been reconciled to God, justified, and God's wrath has been turned away from you. And if that happened at the cross, how much more will you be saved by his life? What guarantee do you have that you're going to heaven If you don't follow the Christian faith, you don't have any guarantee that you're going to heaven. All you have is a promise that if you do good enough, you might end up in paradise, but you really can't know. The way that we can know that we are going to heaven, the guarantee that we have is we have a man on the inside. He he walked the trails of death and he came back. Who else can guide you safely down that dark path? Who else can walk you through the roads of death? No one but the man who came back and lives today. He lives to tell about it. Jesus is the only one who came back from the dead, never to die again. And he's the one on the throne. You have a man on the inside. That's the guarantee you're getting to heaven. I need a promise only Jesus can make. What do you believe will happen one moment after you die. Heaven forbid this should be your last day and you stand before a holy God before your head hits the pillow tonight. What happens one moment after you die? Have you thought about that yet? What happens? Some people don't believe in the afterlife. It's a huge risk. Stephen Hawking is an agnostic scientist who doesn't know what he thinks about God and He doesn't believe in a spiritual afterlife. And he said this, Heaven is nothing more than a fairy story invented by people who are afraid of the dark. He said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's what he thinks. When you die, your body dies, lights out. There's no soul. There's no spirit. There's nothing that continues on after this world that's a risk see what we we believe there is a spiritual realm we believe there is a heaven and a hell we believe that you will go to one place and only jesus can guarantee me heaven you can write that down 
Write that down. Only Jesus can guarantee me heaven. There's nobody else who can make that promise to see you safely into God's heavenly kingdom. What is it? What is it that will guarantee that I can know that I'm going to heaven? God made a promise to you. That's it. God made a promise to you. And it is in the nature, in essence of love, to make promises and to make sacrifices. Um, You know, when I met Lauren and we started dating and then it became clear that she was the one, I thought, you know what? I really want to be with her for the rest of my life. And so I decided to go shop for a... What do you buy to tell someone to prove, give evidence that you love them? What do you buy? Uh, You don't buy a fanny pack. I mean, you got to really aim high, right? You buy a ring. So I took my sister with me because I was like, I don't know how to shop for a ring. And I needed some revenue. You know, I was a college kid. And so I, I had a really nice alto saxophone because I was in band and so I sold that. It's worth a lot of money. So I got all this money by selling my good saxophone and then I went to the ring shop and I was looking at them and I was like, hmm. And I was pointing at some of them and I was like, what do you think about these? And my sister, who has expensive tastes, she's like, no, you want to look at these up here. And I was like, really? These down here look pretty good. And she's like, no, I think you're going to want to check these out up here. And I was like, all right. So I bought a really nice ring and then I went and I got down on one knee, and I proposed and asked my wife to marry me. And she said yes, and she loves the ring. It's the sacrifice and the promise that guarantees the relationship will be intact for a long time. God has made a sacrifice for you, and God has made a promise to you. And it's only because of God's sacrifice and God's promise that you can know you'll be in heaven forever. God, uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, said, uh, he held up a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. The word covenant means promise, treaty, agreement. Meaning when Jesus' blood was poured out, that was God making a promise to you that based on the death of his son, you can live with him forever. That's your guarantee. That's how you know that you're going to heaven and staying in heaven. And because of that, there has to be a point in your life when you ask Jesus to save you. Are you going to heaven? If I were to ask you, why do you think God should let you into heaven? What would you say? So often people say to me, well, I'm a pretty good person. To which I reply, the Bible says you're a pretty dead person. The Bible doesn't say you're spiritually bad. It says you're spiritually dead. And dead people don't do good. Dead people do dead. I said, so, so God sees a dead person. Jesus didn't come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. So I'll say, when did Jesus give you new life? Uh, they might not have an answer to that. Other people will say, yeah, I'm going to heaven because, you know, I didn't, I, what they didn't do, I didn't murder anyone. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't steal. I didn't, based on what you didn't do. Yeah, but God's standard is perfection. You have to fulfill all of his righteous requirements or you can't get in. I said, so the only way that you can get into heaven is through Jesus. And you have to confess that you need Jesus to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. You're not going to get into heaven because of a good thing you did for God. You'll get into heaven because of a good thing God did for you. When you stand at the pearly gates, there is going to be a book with your name on it filled with all of your sin. Everything you've ever done and said, that book will be open. It will take five minutes to throw you away for eternity. Five minutes. When the worst of your sins comes to light for all to hear, five minutes is all it will take. And then the rest of the book will be read. And you will just let out one helpless groan after another. Months it might take to get through your whole record. And at the end, you will have received a fair trial and you will have nothing to say. You will know that you have been justly condemned and sent away from God for eternity. You'll know it. Your book can't get you into heaven. But I've got good news for you. There's another book and it has Jesus' name on it. And the Bible says that that book will be open. And if your name is in his book, you get to go to heaven. The only thing you can say when you get to those pearly gates and they say, why should I let you in here? The only thing you can say is, I'm with him. I'm with him. Yeah, but that book here, yeah, I'm I'm with him. That's it. 
doesn't matter what good things you've done. It matters what good thing he has done. You have to be saved. Are you saved? When did you get saved? I got saved in college. If I asked when you got saved, what would you say? If I asked the 10 people in your life closest to you, hey, is that person saved by Jesus? Would there be any hesitation? Uh, Because if your spouse still hasn't figured that out, you're not saved. If your siblings are still like, you're not saved. If your parents haven't seen it, it doesn't matter what you tell yourself. If people don't see that you are saved, don't fool yourself. You need to get saved. And you can. But you have to admit the truth. My wife and I went out on a date one night and we had the worst restaurant experience ever. The silverware was dirty. They didn't bring out our salads. They got the food wrong. And then they didn't even bring our dessert out and they charged us for it. Like, oh, for four. And I went up to the manager and I told him this. And I said, do you think I should pay this bill? And he said, no. I said, you're right. I shouldn't pay a penny of this because this was awful. And I said, and there were people waiting in line. I said, are you a Christian? And he went like this. I'm imagining him on judgment day. Do you believe in Jesus? Some of you, that's your heart though. Your heart is honestly, that's you. And I said, I want to teach you a word called grace. And this is the only way you're going to get to heaven. He said, I'm going to pay this bill even though you know I shouldn't pay it, right? You don't deserve it, right? I'm going to pay it even though you don't deserve it. And I'm going to put the biggest tip on here that I've ever tipped. And you know you don't deserve it. That's how you get to heaven. God has to give you something you don't deserve. That's it. It's your only hope. And when you admit that you need Jesus to save you, that's when your life changes. When you give up on your effort, that's when God accepts you. You have to be saved. Famous Christians have been saved in so many ways. C.S. Lewis, who is a bright thinker, he didn't believe in God. He mocked God for most of his life. And then one day, he got in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle, and they went to the zoo together. And C.S. Lewis says, when we left for the zoo, I was not a Christian. When we arrived at the zoo, I was a Christian. (laughs) He was just thinking. A little helmet on, right? Thinking. And finally, he's like, I'm in. I believe it. And boom, he got saved. A little sidecar of a motorcycle on the way to a zoo. Charles Spurgeon, when he was a young man, went out into a snowstorm trying to get to church. And uh, he couldn't even make it to his own church, so he ducked into a church that was closer. The regular preacher wasn't even there. There was a backup deacon or something in a blizzard. Nobody was there. were 15 people in a room for like 500, and Charles Spurgeon was there. And he heard this unprepared guy give a gospel presentation. This guy just said, young man, you need the gospel. You need Jesus in your life. And Charles Spurgeon, one of the giants of the faith, got saved in a blizzard in a church not his own. I don't know your story. It doesn't have to be fantastic. It can be normal. A lot of people in the Bible have normal stories. How'd you get saved? Jesus said, leave your nets and follow me. And I said, okay. Yeah, but were you hooked on drugs? No. Were you a violent criminal? No. I just dropped the net and followed him. (laughs) Not every story is like sensational. But if you don't have a gospel story, you're not saved. If you can't tell me how you got saved, you're not saved. And I would just like to invite you to clear that up today. I know there are some people in this room who aren't ready yet. And I would never want to make you do something you're not ready to do. So I just want to say thank you to those people for giving me a fair hearing. And I trust that you will prayerfully consider everything that I've said today. But I know there are some people in this room who are ready. And God is telling you in your heart, you have put this off for far too long. The Bible says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Meaning Jesus is looking down into your heart. Jesus would say from time to time, he would say, do you believe this? And he would want to hear it from the lips of the person he was seeing. And he's saying that to you right now. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus came into the world lived the perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of your sins, was thrown into a tomb, was raised on the third day, and now lives in heaven and can give you a free gift 
of eternal life. Do you believe that? See, because if you believe that, you have to respond. You have to take hold of the free gift of eternal life by repenting, turning from your known sins, and asking Jesus to save you. I want you to know that you're in a room not filled with perfect people by any means, but sinful people who have been saved. And there are people who have been saved at all ages of life. In fact, if you're in this room now and you were saved over the past 12 months, if you were saved and baptized over the past 12 months, I want to give you a chance to show everybody God has done something special in your life and just stand up right now. If you were saved within the past year, stand up right now and show people God has done something wonderful in your life. That's amazing. That's amazing. Stay standing. Don't sit down. Now, now, God is working. Uh, and how many of you would say that you were saved within the past five years of your life? Stand up if you were saved within the past five years of your life. Look at this. Look at what God is doing. Hey, I don't know. You might feel like, well, I didn't get it when I was a kid, so I missed it. Look around. Uh, uh, we are not perfect people. We are humble people who know that God at the cross has given us a gift we don't deserve. And, and, and every year, people are waking up and saying, why did I wait so long? Some younger, some older. But listen, maybe right now, God is saying to you, today is the day I want you, I want you today to find salvation through my son. Today, you will confess you've sinned. Today, you will ask him to be your savior. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance. These people are going to stay standing. And everybody's going to close their eyes. But I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what God is doing in your heart. He is inviting you to receive a love that he's poured out that will give you joy in your suffering, that will give you access to his presence, that will give you a pardon in his court of law. He's extending it to you free of charge right now. And I'm going to give you a chance in a moment to stand up and show publicly that you want what Jesus is offering you. Let's close our eyes right now and let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. Prayer is talking to God. And God listens to every word you say. And I'm talking to those of you who are here right now and you're being honest. You're being honest with God and you feel that God has been trying to get your attention for a long time. And you keep hitting snooze. You keep ignoring the wake-up calls. But you know, you know, today is the day Jesus will give you eternal life. I'm going to ask you to do something that could be embarrassing. But everybody's eyes are closed, so it's not. I'm going to ask you to do something that will be courageous. But when you reflect on the fact that Jesus died a humiliating, agonizing, bloody and painful death for you, boy, what wouldn't you do for him? Right now, I'm going to ask you if you are ready to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Go ahead. Stand up right now. You're not alone. There are already three people who have stood up. God's working. God's working. I want to invite you right now to stand up and respond to the love Jesus is offering you. You can do it. Stand up right now and respond to what you're hearing. I know what you're thinking. You're feeling emotional. You're thinking, why am I doing, why am I feeling this way? God's at work in your heart. God's doing this. And he wants you to respond. This is your chance. You haven't missed it. This is your chance. 
There are others all around you who are humbly saying they need what God is offering. They're saying they're not perfect. They need forgiveness. This is your chance. What are you waiting for? Stand up. Now's the time. Now's the time to show God that you believe what you just heard. Do it. Father, I take a moment and pray. There's like 10 people who just stood up here and you saw that. There are some who are still wrestling with you and there's still time. But Father, I want to lead those people who just stood up in a prayer and I want them to say it out loud with me right now, to say this with me as a prayer of confession, to say this, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Say it. Say it in your own words. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I believe Jesus is the Christ. I believe he died on the cross. Say it. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose on the third day. And here and now I ask for forgiveness. Jesus, save me. Come on, say it louder. Jesus, save me. Father, I thank you for the confessions of faith that people are saying right now, and I just want them to know that your word says, never will you leave them, never will you forsake them. You have guaranteed them a place in heaven. But even better, they can know you now. And Jesus, I pray that you would give them joy in whatever they are suffering because you have poured your love into their hearts. Show them that there is nothing they can ever do to deserve this. It's only by faith. Thank you for your grace, Father. Thank you for the grace of Easter. And as everyone stands up, everyone is saying, Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.